welcome to episode 167 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Friday 15th of September 2017. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at thefredcast.com. I'm the host and producer of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. For show notes, links, and other information, simply go to our website at the-spokesman.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Welcome to episode 167 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. I'm very, very sorry for the longer than expected gap between shows, but my excuse, and it's a good one, is I've been on holiday, on family holiday, in fact, and didn't manage to get together with the usual spokesman crew before I left and uh, I was in Canada and while I was there I recorded an interview with a cycle apparel maker and that show will be coming to you real soon but in the meantime I have got three new to the show guests and they're experts as I'll introduce them in a second and we'll be discussing an issue quite an emotive issue perhaps that's been exercising minds here in the UK for certainly the last week um, a bit before and and the new story that it was uh, involved with has been probably two years it's been um, exercising minds uh, so it's it's been generating a lot of media uh, comment recently uh, much of it rather unfavorable uh, so uh, without further ado I'd like to introduce uh, my guests and this is in, in no particular order uh, I'm going to be introducing Casper uh, Casper Hughes of Rollerpalooza hi there Casper hello Casper, just give us, this is the same for, for the other guests, just give us a very brief thumbnail sketch of, of who you are. So I was a cycle courier in London for and transport manager for about 10 years. I had a fleet of 30 cyclists underneath me, um, 10, so about seven actually, van drivers from seven and a half ton down to small vans over three sites it was quite a busy company um i was i rode a fixie for about five years whilst i was actually delivering a single speed mountain bike most of the time it was the fixie actually um after that i made a little company called roller palooza who uh does static bike racing roller racing so we popularize that and um do about 300 odd events of that a year do a couple of other things as well and more recently i've been involved with a campaign group called stop killing cyclists on the organizing panel of that group um who are instrumental in bringing die-ins as a um a form of protest to uh cycling deaths in in london predominantly but it's spreading out now I think that's probably me in a nutshell. Thank you. And, and you mentioned fixies there. And of course, fixies uh, are very much central to the, 
the discussion of today, which we'll, we, we will get on to. And if I introduce my next guest, it, it may be coming more and more clear the subject we're going to be talking about. Uh, but the next guest is, uh, well, he tweets as Bez Tweets, and he's very graciously allowed us to call him just Bez today. So hi there, Bez. <laughs> and can you give us cause you, you, a brief thumbnail sketch of yourself without giving away too much, of course? Well, <laughs> yeah, you make this fact sound very... Uh, yeah. yeah, cloak and dagger. Very, yes, exactly. And it's, it's not. Um, just by myself, I think I, the only fair description is, is just some guy who writes some stuff on the internet. I don't think there's anything much to it than that. Um, I've, you know, I've been riding bikes for 25 years and, you know, around 10 years ago, I guess, you know, I started noticing that when there reports of people getting killed on bikes and what um, you know, the, the media coverage around it with a particular slant and the, uh, the court decision relating to those things uh, seemed a little curious. Um, and it just started dragging me into the whole uh, business of looking at aspects of you know, how people respond to uh, cycling um, and road in general and what is attitude to. Uh, you know how they distinguish themselves from other people who use the road, um, how they how they treat them, how the law treats them, and those kind of things. So, um, yeah, just over a period of time, I've ended up writing about that sort of stuff for places uh, like yeah. Single Track and and others. Yeah, so yeah, just initially on on my own blog now, yeah, on Single Track as well. Right, just to, to to remind or just to say to listeners, uh, we are having audio problems with with Bez's feed. It comes on and off. Sometimes it's absolutely fantastic, and sometimes Bez unfortunately fades away. Uh, but hopefully, we can we can get the gist of most of it, and hopefully, uh, we'll we'll get the good bits uh, when Bez uh, does talk. Now, my final guest uh, is Queen's Counsel. He's a barrister. Uh, he also. Uh, blogs on his own blog and for the guardian and one of the articles which which i'll link to in the show notes uh, is this particular case but first of all let's introduce uh, martin hi there martin hi there carlton and how are you how doing you... this fine this morning yeah i'm i'm very well thanks uh, you pretty much introduced me so uh, well i, I would like much, to say not much to add i uh, do you want me to add a little bit about myself? Yeah, I think um, so. I mean, Queen Council, I, I, barrister, there's there's more to you than just yes, that, Martin. I've, I, I've been a practising barrister for over 30 years now and a Queen's Council for over 10 years. And uh, a lot of my practice is dealing with personal injuries and uh, particularly personal injuries to cyclists. So although I'm not uh, predominantly a criminal lawyer, I do take a great interest as well as, what, uh, as to what goes on in the criminal courts and uh, often... The same issues are not dissimilar to those that arise in some of the civil courts where I practice. I've also been the chairman of a cycling club, Thames Velo, for the last five years. Um, I'm a keen cyclist, used to race, never yet uh, ridden a fixie, though I'm I'm often told I should try it. OK, thank you. Uh, I would like to, to st- stay with you, Martin, because I, I could summarise this this case in a nutshell because I've, I've written about this on bite biz um but as you have a very expertly blogged on it would you mind just giving us a, a brief run through of the case we're going to be discussing today and 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 perhaps why it's important gosh yes i'll give it a go though um you should all be aware that i've 
haven't been present through any part of the trial, so I'm totally reliant upon the reports from the few reporters who have been there. So I mean, we do know that Alison was was charged with um, two offences, manslaughter and the offence of uh, furious or wanton driving. Um, he was acquitted of manslaughter. He was, though, convicted of furious or wanton driving. But perhaps I sh should explain that furious or wanton driving is a relatively old offence, um, reenacted in Victorian times, but actually originating even earlier than that, which uh, is quite broad. It goes not only to wanton or furious driving, but also to racing or uh, other willful default whilst in charge of a carriage, which um, of course includes a, a bicycle and it, and it includes a, a motor vehicle. Uh, but because there is no offence of causing death by dangerous cycling or causing death by careless cycling, the prosecution wanted to use something. Um, they wanted a backup charge that was more serious than simply dangerous cycling. So they went for this uh, wanton or furious driving, which is the offence of which Mr. Alliston stands convicted and um, he'll receive his sentence, I understand, next Monday. And just to, just, just to give a brief bit of uh but, but on the there. facts, uh, 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 on the facts as they've been reported, uh, Alison was riding his um, fixed wheel bicycle. It was a track bicycle. It therefore didn't have a front brake, as it should do under the construction and use regulations. Uh, a Mrs. Kim Briggs unfortunately stepped out into the road uh, as he was approaching. Uh, he attempted to avoid her. Uh, on his account, she moved backwards at the last moment back into his path. There was a collision. The collision speed, according to the prosecution, was only about 12 or so miles an hour. So it was particularly unfortunate and tragic that uh, Mrs Briggs sustained a serious head injury from which she later died. Um, now, her husband, statistics tell us that... Yes, go on. Uh, well, her husband has started a campaign, uh, a two-pronged campaign, one to, to change the law, which you've just talked about there, Martin, and also to get uh, retailers of bicycles who stock these particular kind of bicycles to to make it plain that they're not street legal now at this point i would just like to read out because i did ask matthew um to come on the show and we have spoken uh, uh offline quite a bit um on the, on the various stories i've been doing but he did uh, say this so i'll just i'll just read out his quote uh, so this is Matthew. I want to reach out as many cyclists as possible, but I do, for personal reasons, want to bring a little peace into our lives for a while. So that's why he didn't want to uh, to come on the show with everybody here. Uh, but he did say, he added, but I am so keen for cyclists to know that this is not anti-cycling. It's about the law. And if I can get retailers to stop advertising fixies without a front brake, it will be something else positive. So there he's bringing those two two aspects of his campaign in there so now that we've got the, the the basic bones of what this this case is about i'd like to widen it out and just start asking everybody um now we'll start with casper i'll, I'll kind of go casper and then bez and then then martin if you're okay unless you absolutely want to, to pitch in folks uh so why do you think the media fixated 
on this case when motorists, as we we all know, uh, are killing pedestrians in a very routine manner. So why why is the media fixated on this? Oh, that's in essence, I think it's because cyclists are currently an outgroup and facing a quite a serious backlash from the press because of that i i mean it's, it's it's really quite difficult to see beyond that at the moment i think bears the, uh, oh, sorry you, Hasby, you sorry carry on yeah no i'm, I'm, I'm yeah i mean it, I, I can't really see much much more than that at the moment you know there's it's such a tiny proportion of of journeys in 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 london that are done and you, you it, 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 the, the the press really you know they, they, what what we're seeing in the press at the moment is it's it's akin to um, what was happening. I, I was talking to a prominent transport and environmental and gay activist I know who drew parallels to to how the particularly the tra- tabloid press was um, uh, dealing with um, gay people committing crimes or or if they had any public money spent on them in the in the 80s you know it was it was, it was a very very similar thing then they were a huge out group then and you know and that unfortunately that that backlash on 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 that portion of society lasted about 10 years mm. but, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the out group and bears is it is this something this demonization is this something that <laughs> is fair <laughs> I don't think saying demonization is fair is a, is a reasonable statement. No. Um, I, I think one thing that we need to do um, to put this in, in context is really to separate out, um, you know, Matthew Briggs, his campaign and his motives, which are understandable and I think largely reasonable. I think, you know, there, there's good reasons for what he's doing. Um, from the sort of wider context, um, where I think we have to acknowledge that there do exist, you know, uh, people, whoever, you know, companies who would uh, prefer to see, you know, much greater regulation and restriction of cycling. Um, you know, that's fairly plain to see when you, you look at all the discussions that have been going on about London's infrastructure and things like that. Um, so I think, you know, when we discuss these things, we, we have to be clear about what we're talking about. And certainly I would criticise, you know, one aspect of that more than, more than the other. Matthew Brick is talking about making, uh, asking retailers to make it clear that certain you know, bicycles are not road legal. You know, that seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Perfectly understandable, but, you know, given what he's been through, um, that he would want to bring about that change. Um, when you come to the media, you know, you're immediately into that wider context um, where it's not just, you know, campaign um, and this particularly tragic incident uh, that we're concerned with. We are, you know, it is then talking about the whole thing. And, you know, emotive things do get you to uh, get people on board with a particular message. You know, if you look back to the times when uh, the media were talking about straight bananas coming up, you know, regulations about straight bananas. Mm. Uh, false as it was, it was a very emotive issue. And if you say something about straight banana to anyone, you know immediately what you're talking about. And, you know, the connotations of it, the EU is a bureaucratic organisation, that was the message that came through on the back of that. 
So, you know, these very small things uh, do become sort of totems of, of these wider uh, messages. Um, so I think, you know, we have to be have to be clear about how these things relate to each other. And Martin, the same question to you, is it that the media fixation on this particular case, do you see this as something strange? Well, ultimately, the media wish to sell papers, don't they? And we know that this sort of event is terribly rare and it does arouse a great deal of public interest. And every time one in the media puts, a, puts an article about um, cycling and cycling injuring pedestrians on a newspaper, they get an awful lot of um, comment, um, some of it not, not terribly helpful or useful. Uh, and I rather agree that Mr. Briggs's campaign is is understandable, given given what he and his family have been through. Um, the media, there may behind the media be some um, uh, distaste for the uh, cycling revolution that some <coughs> appear to fear, uh, and uh, some desire to try and fight back against that by restricting cycling in such a way as to ensure that fewer people will wish to do it. Uh, but ultimately, as I said initially, I think the media probably feel that this is a good way to uh, arouse a lot of public interest and sell a lot of newspapers. I must say, I was, I was quite astonished by the degree of media interest uh, when the Alison verdict came in. My, uh, I couldn't answer my phone for two days. It was just mm. uh, every few minutes, someone from the media was trying to get me onto radio or television and um you know i'm probably <laughs> fairly far down the list of people they'd want to comment for comment on on a case like this but what uh, one has to say that it's a very unusual event and um it, it therefore attracts interest in the way that a pedestrian who's run down by a motorist simply doesn't because it's so routine reported, even locally because mm. there are so many so many that happen that uh, the readership would get very bored of um, a lot of articles every every day or certainly several a week uh, describing how yet another pedestrian has been run down by, by yet another motorist. Mm. Mm. It, it, is that true? Do people get bored of articles? I mean, you know, we, we have fairly heavy coverage of, you know, things like Brexit or, you know, various conflicts around the world or all sorts of things. I don't... You know, you know, just I don't think there's anything inherent in, you know, the repetition of a subject that causes people to get bored or for it not to be, you know, considered uh, worthy of publication by the media. Do you think it's more a willful obscuring then of the, these deaths and injuries? Well, I think, you know, it's 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 fairly clear. You know, one thing I would love to do is to be able to, you know, uh, spend some time sitting down with computers and actually going through and analyzing this. But if you, you know, you can only do this anecdotally speaking without doing that. But you only have to read through reports of, you know, fatal or serious injury collisions on the road, um, where, you know, the language that's used in headlines and in mm. the body text is markedly different depending on who the actors are. Um, you know, and you, you know, where, uh, drivers you know, where motor vehicle collisions take place, those actors are sometimes not even mentioned at all. Uh, quite often they're only mentioned in regard to say that, 
you know, they didn't suffer any injury. Mm. Um, and the, the tone of the language is very different as well. And, you know, you had several discussions via email and Twitter and what have you with journalists who would say, well, we can't, you know, do anything that would remotely imply blame in case there's sort of, you know, legal repercussions. Well, you just wait until, you know, a cyclist hits someone mm. and then you'll see that, that actually they can in most cases. So okay, there, are ex- there, are ex- there are exceptions to both rules, but, you know, there is a very clear pattern. So, you know, is it willful? For whatever reason, it t- certainly seems to be, you know, conscious and demonstrable. Um, you know, there is a clear difference in terms of you know, what is reported and how. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I think that's that, that's all fair comment, which is one of the reasons I wrote an article for The Guardian, because I, I felt a, a, a desire, although I was, I, I suppose, part of the media fixating on the case, I, I just wanted to put a more neutral perspective on it, because there was so much nonsense being written and spoken about the Alliston case. Mm. Well, one of the things that was mentioned uh, frequently, and, and, and this was obviously great on lots of people, is the fact that the speed was mentioned and as though 18 miles per hour, which is one of the speeds that w- were quoted, is somehow incredibly fast when a, a cyclist is doing it. Mm. And yet, in the same, almost in the same breath, journalists can mention how, you know, a car doing 20 miles per hour is just isn't possible. And it's, it's just it's not feasible to do that kind of slow speed. So a car doing mm. 20, which is a very heavy thing, is somehow incredibly slow. And yet a, a lightweight in comparison cyclist going 18 miles per hour is 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 incredibly fast so so casper first is 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 that something that uh you noticed yes 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 it's it's uh, you know by comparison there was a young frank murphy up in liverpool was killed by a speeding driver who was doing 48 in a 40 zone and um there wasn't enough, the driver wasn't prosecuted, prosecuted, there wasn't enough evidence. You know, there was evidence that the driver was speeding and he, the driver killed this uh, young man, but that, that isn't enough evidence to prosecute the driver. Yet, you know, it, 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 in exactly the reverse is happening when, when these people are cycling. You know, it, it's, well, so the, what's the speed limit in Europe is less than 20 miles an hour, isn't it? It's 20 kilometres an hour in cities. And um, and we're really struggling in this country to 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 get 20 miles an hour as a uniform speed limit throughout London. You know, there are roads where there are central trunk roads where it's still 40 miles an hour. There's areas where it's 30 and there's um, growing areas where it's 20. And then, of course, we've got the issue of the um, police being unable to police these um, 20 mile an hour zones as well. So, yes, I mean, it's it is a huge issue and it's. Unfortunately, yet another way that the press puts the focus right back on a vulnerable, a set of vulnerable road users themselves that cause a tiny, tiny amount, less than 1% of mm. um, fatalities. It's, it really is it's quite hard to fathom. And Why Bez, Bez, do you think that speed, the angle of speed that a lot of the media took, do you think that could continue to haunt cyclists, even though... As we know, it's not generally known, but as we know, speed limits don't actually apply to cyclists. Yeah, I mean, it's probably worth pointing out that the, I think the main reason that speed limits don't apply to cyclists is, is 
you know, until motor cars came along, uh, the world got on fine without them. Um, and, you know, now we're in the position that we are. I think the, the issue is more one of practicality rather than of, you know, principle in the sense that, you know, most bicycles, despite the fact that, you know, a lot of people listening to this will have, probably have, you know, GPS devices and what have you. Um, most people who ride bicycles, you know, don't have any way of monitoring their speed mm. and it's, you know, additional expense on a very low cost form of transport to uh, enable that, let alone the whole business of, you know, calibrating these things. Um, will it continue to haunt us? Yes, absolutely, because, you know, this is all part of the the picture that we're given that, you know, 18 miles an hour on a, on a bicycle is terribly irresponsible. Um, you know, despite the fact that at urban speeds, you know, cars and bicycles have very similar uh, stopping distances. And of course, a, a bicycle is much narrower as well. So you have far more chance of, you know, although, you know, tragically in certain situations, it does happen. Uh, generally speaking, you know, if someone steps out into the road and you're on a bicycle, um, then, you know, because it's narrower, you, you generally have more chance of avoiding between the curb and um, you know passing traffic on your outside which is where you know poor infrastructure tends to put a piece of people on bicycles mm. um, but yes of course it will continue to haunt us you know because uh, you know that is that is part of the message that you know cyclists are reckless anyone on a bicycle is, you know should be very sedate should be you know doing their utmost to make themselves brightly colored um, should be ringing their bell all the time, all this kind of thing. You know, mm. All this helps to make it a, a form of transport that is less viable in cities if you stick to all, all of this. Whereas, you know, if you proceed at 18 miles an hour and you can actually pass through the, you know, the mile-long traffic jams that are, are quite often there in London and always have been, um, then, you know, it becomes a transport that people start to and Martin, it, 18 miles per hour is a, a, we know it's not incredibly fast, really. Certainly journalists wouldn't describe it as fast if it's a, a motor vehicle they're describing. But do you think uh, cyclists should be subject to uh, speed limits? No, I see, I, I see no real purpose in that. I mean, after all, if Mr. Addison had, had been subject to a speed limit, it wouldn't have made the slightest bit of difference. And uh, we start introducing speed limits we will the cyclists we will find um, a, a great deal of police time which could be uh, diverted uh, or could be could be spent on um, more beneficial tasks will be diverted towards uh, directing speed guns at cyclists as as happens in Richmond Park where mm. there is arguably a speed limit um, so I, I, th th there's no evidence that um, speeding by cyclists is, is any kind of problem. Um, my, my main concern about the Alliston case and speed is, is the impression given by some of the reporting that 18 miles an hour was, as it were, fast or furious uh, uh, riding. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think Mr. Alliston must have been convicted on the basis not that his driving was fast or furious, but on the basis that he was guilty of a willful default in not having a front brake. But nonetheless, the prosecution closing speech, as it was reported, uh, was full of references to his machine being built for speed. And uh, uh, he was cross-examined on the basis that he would have been able to stop if he'd been in a sort of sit-up butcher's bicycle. And 
conveying a, a general impression that cyclists have no business doing anything other than proceeding in a, a slow, sedate manner so that pedestrians can step out, um, you know, almost as though the cyclist was was just a version of another pedestrian. I mean, obviously, 18 miles an hour is, is a perfectly cautious speed in most circumstances. Very few people would say that a motorcycle doing 18 miles an hour was being uh, ridden in a uh, recklessly fast manner. And those of us on bicycles, we're not all... Um, and all out purely for the joy of it, although uh, a lot of us sometimes are. But when we have to make journeys to work and so on and so forth, we we shouldn't be expected to be be required to take forever over it um, when other vehicle users aren't. Let me just get some context Let's here as well. Double standards. Let's get some context here. And I'm not, I'm not from London. I don't know London incredibly well, but I do know Old Street, which I believe this is where this this incident occurred. So whoever is familiar with, with London, can you just, just describe uh, roughly what kind of road this is and what, what speed uh, you'd be expected to be going along on that road as a, as a motorist even, not never mind a cyclist, and, and, and how somebody would cross the road there? Uh, well, I used to work. Um, the Metro Imaging was the where I was transport manager and courier, and it was it was on Clerkenwell Road, which turns into Old Street as you head east, actually. And um, in fact, the um, London Cycling Campaign have now termed this whole the whole road right from New Oxford Street heading east out to Old Street as the uh, Clerkenwell Boulevard, um, which has an, a really high proportion of uh, cycling on it with absolutely no infrastructure cycling infrastructure no protected lanes anywhere along it at all it's a 20 mile an hour speed limit um along the length of it it's incredibly busy it's got a very dangerous junction in old street roundabout mm. halfway down it um and it is not a particularly safe place to cycle but a very popular place to to, to ride your bike um there are some pinch points. I mean, it also, this is the same road where Victoria Lebrecht was run over and had to have her leg amputated. Uh, there are some pretty dodgy junctions outside of Old Street Roundabout as well. And it's, but the traffic flow along there is 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 high. You know, it's the main arterial route to and from the West End going out to the city, you know, which is square mile in the whole world. It's it, it's it's a very, very busy, wide road. Okay. Casper, uh, staying with you, uh, do fixies need front brakes? Yes. Yes. It's, yes. I mean, it's, I, you know, I, I fully understand that you can, you can stop a, a fixie quickly. The, you know, the, the, the relative forces involved, if you haven't got a front brake, mean that you can stop it quite quickly. But you, that doesn't ever mean you can stop it as quickly as you can when you have got a mechanical front brake you know i can bring my bike to a halt in in a couple of meters from 18 miles an hour using one finger we which you can't do you know it's probably about twice as three times as long if you just use the um use those skidding technique which so you know it's, it's a i would say it's a relatively advanced bit of fixy riding hmm now, mm. Martin's already said he hasn't got a fixie or hasn't ridden yeah. a fixie. What about you, Bez? Are, are you familiar with, with fixie riding? I I have ridden a fixie. Um, I, I used to ride uh, single-speed 
quite a lot and I tried Spexy for a while with two two additional brakes I should add um, just because I flip-flopped my um, freewheeled single speed um, I didn't personally get on with it mainly for the reason that I had other bikes with a freewheel and mm. uh, frankly when I got to a junction um, I don't like to have to think about which bike I'm on to determine you know what I do to slow down um, on the question of do fixies need front brakes uh, yeah I mean you know, this isn't a matter of opinion. I know people go on internet forums and say, oh, I can slow down pretty well with a rear brake. Well, yeah, you can slow down without, sorry, without a front brake. You can slow down without a front brake, but, you know, it's basic physics. It's provable, you know, on the back of an envelope. You can stop a lot quicker with a front brake. And if you're going to achieve the maximum braking that's possible on a bicycle, um, that's achieved when the rear wheel has no brake, no weight on it at all, and therefore no ability to brake. Mm. Um, you know, that's assuming you've got full grip in the dry and you're braking in a straight line and what have you. Um, I mean, in the context of, you know, incidents that actually occur, you do have to ask questions and say, you know, whereas with a car, you know, performing an emergency stop is a trivial function when you've got ABS because your car doesn't drift to the left or right, left or right. There's no balance issues. You just smack your foot on the pedal, stand on it, um, and the car will come to stop as, as quick as it possibly can. Um, with a two-wheeler, that's a slightly more involved op- involved operation. Um, but that means you know that means that you know people should be using their front brake. They might not necessarily be using you know pulling a stocky and, and pulling you know the, the 0.7 or 0.8 g or whatever that's, that you can theoretically get out of the bike. Um, but yeah, you, you need a front brake. It's I don't think anyone has a reasonable argument to say that bikes should be ridden around you know, on, on, on roads or where there are pedestrians without one. Bez, you've mentioned the, the, the stopping distance there and, and the, the basic difficulties. So in, in a lot of online discussion that I've seen where this has been discussed, it's almost a tacit admission that bicycles aren't that very good at stopping compared to cars with, as you just said there, with ABS. So almost a logical extension of that argument is well maybe bicycles shouldn't be on the roads because if they can't stop in the, as good as uh, cars can stop what right have they be on, to be on the public highway well i mean firstly let's not put too much uh, give too much ascribe too much value to online discussion because you know frankly i'm sure you know as well as i do that there is a load of nonsense talked on the internet um, and, you know, everywhere, you know, it's just people, it's nothing particular about the internet. Um, but obviously, you know, everyone's got their own, own take on things. Um, but no, I don't think that makes any reasonable sense at all. I'd say, but, you know, and firstly, you're talking about a, a vehicle that weighs 10 kilos rather than 1500. Um, but also actually the stopping distances are completely comparable. You know, the, the police say that, you know, when you're doing is it 17, 17 something miles an hour, on a bicycle, they managed to stop one with a front brake in three meters. Oh, mm. Well, you know, that's not an admission that, or an indication that bicycles can't stop adequately and are unsuitable for use on the road. No, I think that, you know, that argument is, is basically null and void. So, you know, they make, make they're perfectly reasonable. Okay, who's typing there? Because you're doing it very loudly. <laughs> I'll cease. <laughs> well, I'll come to you next, actually, and that—that that is, I won't—I won't 
stick yeah, with that particular I mean, subject unless you want to go on to that. Did, did you want to like mention something well, about I, that I, one? We, we'll all agree that um, uh, fixies require front brakes, but I think also that a little perspective is required here because after all, Iceland did face a manslaughter charge on the basis that um, not having a front brake was so dangerous, so recklessly dangerous. Um, I, it, my calculations, um, which I, you know, they may not be perfect, but they're going to be approximately correct, is that uh, he would have had around half the ability to stop as he would with a with a front brake. In other words, his stopping distance would have been twice as great without his front brake. And I mean, that sounds bad, but when you stop and consider that I'll go out in very wet conditions when my braking is substantially um, lower than it is in the dry, possibly by a factor of up to four. So, you know, as cyclists, we, we really, uh, certainly in my case, I, I try very hard never getting, never to allow anyone to get me into a position where I need to break hard. And I can, you know, in, in years and years of commuting through London, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've actually had to do a serious emergency stop to avoid mm. someone. Mm. Um, so, a, a, a little perspective required. Yes, he should have had a front brake. Yes, we're all agreed that these um, that these bikes require front brakes. And yes, he was breaking the law in riding a bicycle without a front brake. But you know, it's it, people have made comparisons with um, driving a car without brakes, and I just simply don't accept that it's anything like at the same level. Mm. Okay, sticking with you, Martin, and that is you mentioned uh, further. Uh, back in the show about the the wanton and furious driving charge which does date from 1861 which is before in effect the invention of certain yes. pedal propelled bicycles so we're talking 1866 65ish is when when pedal bicycles yes. came around so this this yeah. predates yeah. that well and you may be interested that the 1861 act actually was a consolidating statute which reproduced the exact wording from an 18th century statute long before even the hobby horse bicycle mm. it was it was specifically directed at when first enacted to stage coaches to make them stop driving around as as the the charge says furiously yes and i think a, a large part of the concern from the sort of parliamentarians who who made these laws was that they they were often traveling in stage coaches and they didn't want them being overturned mm. So Matthew but, Briggs, his his campaign is specifically trying to get that changed, to bring that up to date, to bring cyclists into line with motorists. So where do you stand on on that? Do you like the arcane well, bit it, of 1861 law or do you think well, it should the, be? The 1861 law is, I suppose, where cyclists are most closely allied to motorists in the sense that motorists are bound by the same law and the law will be used against motorists where for some reason it's decided that the road traffic act offenses of um, dangerous and careless cycling aren't applicable so for example on private land uh, it shows i suppose the flexibility of the law that there is something there there is a serious charge uh, it, it's an indictable only offense which will almost invariably result in some period of imprisonment that is that is available to prosecutors that is short of a manslaughter charge that fits the circumstances of the Alliston case and has fitted the circumstances of all the other cases, very few uh, of which I'm aware, where a cyclist has, um, uh, in a culpable manner, run down and, and 
seriously injured or killed a pedestrian. Um, any law reform requires a great deal of effort. And I'm not sure that given that that's so, and that law reform is um, is not easily achieved, that it, we, our efforts shouldn't be directed at other forms of law reform and more generally looking at the questions of uh, careless and dangerous driving under the under the road traffic acts and why it is that there's such a great deal of confusion in the criminal courts whenever a motorist is uh, is tried or uh, that well we we know that so often those who've actually inflicted danger on others are charged with a careless motion mm. offence and we know that when the causing death by careless driving charge was introduced some years ago there was an instant uh, and surely not coincidental reduction in the number of motorists facing charges of causing death by dangerous driving. Uh, the whole area does need to be looked at carefully again. And if that includes uh, looking at cyclists, then I'm essentially fairly agnostic on the subject because it affects so few cases. Mm. And it's not, in my view, going to save a single life. And do you think it's 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 something that because of the the current case because of the Allison case it is prominent and it's it's been mentioned in parliament in fact if you, if you look at questions from peers and from MPs over the last uh, week there have been quite a few from uh, um, from those folks asking the department for transport are you going to be introducing these new laws there's clearly a lot of pressure there one would assume that because of Brexit, there's going to be very few new laws anyway, and transport is always way down the pecking order. So it's fairly unlikely that the sound and fury from these these the newspaper editorials and MPs are actually going to result in anything. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I mean, we've been here before. Every, every time this happens, there's, there's um, noise in Parliament, but then people's memories are relatively short and they soon forget and I don't know whether Mr. Briggs will be able to make the difference in this case. Um, that's the only potentially differing factor. There, there is some road, uh, there are some road traffic reforms that are supposed to be in progress at the moment because the government recently completed a consultation on increasing the level of sentencing for those who cause death by dangerous driving, and that was um, that was, I think, the, the net result of a long promised um, look at reform of of road traffic law so in other words it was, it was far more limited than many people had hoped and i i would see it as rather unlikely they come back and and revisit it frankly mm-hmm. anybody think between martin's how do you say there but uh, bears or casper anybody think that the current sound and fury from mps peers and media will result in any significant change I don't. I don't. Um, I mean, if you look at, there was, there's been what 31 deaths um, through collisions with pedestrians and cyclists in the last 10 years, uh, and, and as from, from everything that I've seen, one of those is from a fixie with no brakes, compared to what a, a very conservative estimate in the same time of 3,000 plus deaths of pedestrians from from motor vehicle drivers, you know, I, I really think that common sense must prevail here and, and and they will focus on laws that will save a far, far greater number of lives by by, by looking at uh, reforming driving laws, laws surrounding dangerous driving, careless driving. I would hope. 
Bez, where, where do you stand on this? Well, I wouldn't want to comment on the sort of likelihood of anything happening, but I think that there's two aspects to where, you know, the, the question of whether this law needs revising or replacing or, or whatever. I think one is around the issue of when you have someone die, which is clearly a, a, a major and, and tragic and undesirable thing, people... Um, whether it's you know relatives or even observers, and I know having looked at God knows how many um, fatal cases in the media over the years, that it, it it's very strange to look at the circumstances that led to someone's death um, that inevitably involved uh, someone else and their actions, and for the law, unex- kind of unexpectedly, for want of a better word to fail to recognize that or fail to acknowledge that one person caused the death of another. And I think, you know, it's very understandable to say that, you know, if, if Alison was convicted of causing merely of causing bodily harm by wanton and furious driving, then although that bodily harm turned out to be fatal, the law has not, you know, in writing acknowledged that he was the cause, his behavior was the cause of Kim Briggs' death. Now, you know, there might, might be multiple reasons for that. And clearly he was charged with a homicide offence of, of manslaughter as well. Um, and without knowing exactly what evidence was presented in court, um, it's impossible to say, you know, to guess at what particular reason he was charged, he was convicted of one offence and not the other. But I think, you know, there there is... There is that desire for, I guess, a sense of closure and just that recognition of saying, yes, this person's behavior did cause, their actions did cause a death. Um, Manslaughter exists uh, to do that. Um, But what doesn't exist is is a homicide offense that explicitly and inherently links it to cycling behavior, whereas there is for driving behavior. Um, Now, you know, in the article that I wrote last week, you know, that goes into the the details of why that may or may not actually be a good thing. You know, there are a number of campaigners who have over the years realised that there are problems with, you know, the offences of careless and dangerous driving and how they're defined. And there is, you know, from a number of people, a push to actually go back to manslaughter charges. Um, so to push cycling from manslaughter to uh causing death by careless or dangerous cycling. Um, it, it kind of goes against that logic uh, that's being, you know, or the views of people who've been following this sort of stuff for uh, many years. Um, but as I say, you know, the, the need to acknowledge, you know, a, a cause of death is a wholly understandable one. The other aspect of it, though, is, is one of the practicalities of it and, that you know, how really that you know the, the practicalities are in sentencing and actually we if you look at previous convictions for uh cyclists being convicted of causing bodily harm by wanton and furious driving in fatal incidents you see that they get uh you know darren hall got um seven months jail and a 12 month driving ban you know mm. he was actually given, given a motoring uh sentence um for causing that death Daryl Gitto's got 12 months jail. Um, you know, it's an offence that generally does lead to jail. Uh, and when it's used, it's generally pretty successful. If you look at uh, sentencing for drivers who cause death, 
you'll find very comparable sentences. A lot of drivers escape jail uh, for, you know, once that after being convicted of having caused the death. Um, so in terms of the actual action taken by the law on people who commit these offences, that charge isn't underperforming. You know, it's doing a pretty good job. It's got a, it appears to have a pretty high conviction rate. Mm. And when it does convict, it sends people to jail. Um, now, with, with careless and dangerous driving, that's, it's, it's a very different thing. And as, as my article last week again was saying, that if you introduce careless and uh, dangerous, well, careless and dangerous cycling do already exist, but not causing death. Um, it's a, it's a very, it's a very complex, uh, thing in terms of how that's actually going to play out in reality. And the fact that the legislation is, would be worded the same does not mean that the justice applied, uh, would be equal in, uh, in both cases. Mm, okay. And on, on that particular subject, and I, I'd like to start with Martin with this question, but then I think we should all really kind of pitch in on this one is, can cyclists ever get a fair trial, given that so few people in the UK, in, in comparative terms, actually cycle? So that means most trial juries will therefore be composed mostly of motorists, for whom there goes, there but for the grace of God, go I, often seem, seem to play a, a part. So, Martin, is that a, a fair reflection? Well, I, that, that does seem to me to to be a real issue and once bear in mind the history of the causing death by dangerous driving charge was because uh, people were so frustrated or, or, or parliament was so frustrated at the fact that so many who appeared to be causing death by dangerous driving were not being convicted by juries and it was felt very openly discussed and felt at the time in the 1950s but this was because Motorists were getting undue sympathy from jurors who felt there, but for the grace of God, go I. So instead of charging with motor manslaughter, they introduced the offence of causing death by dangerous driving, which is essentially the same offence. <coughs> Anyone who has caused death by dangerous driving has just about by definition. Oh, Martin, you're cutting out a bit there. Um, less of a problem getting juries to convict of causing death by dangerous driving. So that why is why it was introduced. Now, I don't think that juries would have the same reluctance to uh, convict a cyclist of manslaughter in uh, the appropriate circumstances, which you know, I, have, I have to say would, would, would be pretty exceptional, that uh, a bicycle, after all, does not present a very clear and obvious danger in, in, in the sense usually required for manslaughter in, <coughs> in reality for the for the simple reason that it's not as it's not as big as a car and it can't be driven anything like as fast as a, a car uh, those who are convicted of causing death by dangerous driving have usually acted in a way that imp it, it, it imposes a danger that's you know, many orders of magnitude greater than a cyclist would be likely to achieve so in that very unusual case, a, a cyclist could perhaps should face a charge of manslaughter. Now, I, I think there is it's it's fairly encouraging. I suppose I feared for Alliston that he wouldn't get a fair trial, but it has to be said that the jury did stop short of a conviction of manslaughter. 
in perhaps a not dissimilar way to the, the way in which they would have stopped short of a conviction of causing death by dangerous driving if he'd been on a motorcycle instead of on a bike at the time. Um, as from, yes, so if, if, if the offence is causing death by careless cycling, one goes back, there was a big debate at the time that causing death by careless driving was introduced as to whether really someone who caused death by careless driving was so much more morally, morally culpable than someone who'd simply injured someone, mm. possibly severely, uh, by um, careless cycling. And there's an enormous distinction between the between the two as the case of the times journalists involved the the driver in that case was convicted of careless driving um he caused the most horrific injuries to mary bowers but hadn't killed her and so the only thing the court could do was give a relatively short uh, small fine and short period of disqualification whereas if he caused death by uh, careless cycling then there would have been um potentially a prison sentence mm. I, I i just don't see that the number of occasions when people are going to be killed by careless cycling really make it worth complicating our law with introducing further offenses okay it, it's worth possibly adding uh, a little piece of information to that <laughs> having having brought up the subject of the um the often fine line between fatality and serious injury. Um, when you look at the, uh, the cases where pedestrians have died in collisions involving someone on a pedal cycle, uh, you notice that two thirds, roughly two thirds of uh, those people who died were over the age of 70. Um, and so the, the outcome of, the, of any particular behavior or any particular incident um, in terms of that fine line between death and serious injury. It's very dependent on a lot of things, such as, you know, the age and the frailty of the person who ends up being knocked to the ground and hitting their head. Um, and other things as well, such as the quality of the, you know, the emergency trauma care in the area, um, the availability of ambulances and things like that. Um, so, you know, I, I say this with no agenda and no answers to any questions that arise, but it is a, um, a real issue in reality that has to be uh, considered, I think, is that there is that very fine line between, you know, a very serious injury um, and, and a fatality in a lot of cases. Thank you. This has been a, and is a very emotive case. I believe uh, Alison is being uh, sentenced on the 18th of September. So no doubt we can look forward to a duplication of all the the media interest that we've had to well suffer from so far uh, but I, I would like to to wrap up uh, uh, the show by saying thank you to my guests Casper Hughes and to Bez and to Martin Porter now at this point in in the sh the, the normal show is we actually give our Twitter handles and how people can contact us. So, Casper, would you mind telling us how people can get in touch with you via the medium of the internet? Probably the easiest one to remember is is my work Twitter account, which is at Rollerpalooza, and um, I have my own personal one, which is at Count Casper, but it's spelled funny. So, <laughs> at Rollerpalooza. 
it's the easiest one but, by far. But, okay, I won't say how it's uh, spelt funny. It's, uh, I won't go down that route. Um, okay, thank you. And Bez, how do people get in touch with you? And I, w- I'll, we'll, I will be putting the, the Single Track World uh, article in the notes, but how else can people get in touch with you? Uh, yes, the, 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 the Twitter is, uh, is Bez Tweets. Um, that's, that's generally the easiest route through. And blog? Uh, the blog is, is called Beyond the Curb. Um, fantastic, brilliant blog. You should check it out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and Martin, who also blogs? So, so Martin, how do people reach you on the internet? Just Google me. Just Google Martin Porter QC and you'll, you'll find my email address. And uh, That's just showing off. Chambers and so on. But, um, <laughs> you, you, my Twitter handle is at martinporter6, so you can always use that. Um, my blog you will find on uh, uh, it's called The Cycling Lawyer my blog but its address is The Cycling Silk Um, so again Google that if you want to see it Wonderful, thank you very much so thank you uh, to my guest today this has been episode 167 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast and as per usual the, the round off is get out there and ride